0: This is Mike Roth. Today we're going to be rebroadcasting the episode that we did in June with Joe Riva, president and CEO of Hillenbrand. This is a great show. I thought it deserved to be heard again.
1: Today, here on Cincy Business Talk, with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training, by Roth & Associates. Each week we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth.
0: Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Joe Raver, the CEO and President of Hillenbrand, Inc. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Good. Let me tell everyone about you, Joe. Joe Raver is the President and Chief Executive Officer at Hillenbrand, a global diversified industrial company headquartered in Batesville, Indiana. Joe sits on Hillenbrand's Board of Directors. That's a publicly held company, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Joe has spent 18 years in various key positions with Hillenbrand. Prior to his current role, Joe served as president of the Process Equipment Group, a segment of Hillenbrand. He also uh, served as president of Batesville for three years. Uh, Before that, he held the position of vice president and general manager of the Respiratory Care Division at Hillrom, a uh, global... Uh, provider of medical technologies from 1994 through 2006, Joe Raver held the position, leadership roles with Batesville in the areas of merchandising, strategy, and logistics. In addition to your role as a CEO and president, Joe sits on several national and state boards. Recently, he was elected to the Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovations, a board of trustees. And the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership for Board of, of Directors. That one you have to explain.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Certainly, it's a, it's a group of,
3: it's an interesting group because it's university presidents uh, and chief executive officers from a variety of businesses, both public uh, as well as private. And we get together to really work on economic development and how we can work together to improve
0: economic development uh, in the state of Indiana. Mhm and the uh, Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity Innovation That's a a terrific
3: organization. It's a national organization. Mm. We do quite a bit of research, and we have a number of councils. So, for example, if you were a finance person, you would be able to go to the finance uh, council. They share best practices, do research on topics, special topics, very little lobbying. So, for example, the National Association of Manufacturers does a lot of lobbying. Mm -hmm. This is really about best practices and sharing good ideas with
0: your colleagues. Mm -hmm. I really like the innovation part it's it's a great it's a great group now maybe some people are confused because they don't remember that Batesville and Hillenbrand used to be the same company when did they divest
3: themselves <clears throat> so it can be a bit confusing so the Hillenbrand family has been in the Cincinnati area southern Indiana for you know since the 1850s a variety of businesses and they owned a, the old Hill and Brand Industries had owned a number of companies over the years.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: By the mid early two thousands, they were really down to holding two companies: Hill Rom Company, the hospital bed maker, mm-hmm. and Batesel Casket Company. Mm-hmm. The board decided that it would be best to split those two companies. So on the last day of March in two thousand eight, you went to bed. You owned one share of HB Hill mm-hmm. and Brand Industries. You woke up on April 1st, you owned one share of HRC, Hillrom Company, and one share of HI, Hill and Brand Inc., who was a holding company whose only business was Batesville Casket. Mm-hmm. That business, which I'm part of, then had a mandate to go acquire other companies, use the strong cash flows from Batesville, acquire other companies, uh, and grow into an industrial business, which is what we've done over
0: the last five years. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay, sure. Good. Can you talk about a couple of the other product lines that you acquired? Sure. Um, we uh, we
3: started out with our first acquisition. It was um, uh, Catron International, and it was really two businesses. So we got you know two businesses for uh, uh, in one acquisition. Mm-hmm. One of their businesses makes crushing equipment, and we mostly we crush relatively soft things, primarily coal, mm-hmm. uh, potash, and forest products. The other side of that business was a feeding and conveying business. Uh, so if you think about you think about a granola bar, you have mm-hmm. to feed raisins into the process. They make the feeders, and then they move uh, raisins and sugars and things around a plant through pneumatic conveying. Those are the first two businesses that we bought. We today call the, the, the crushing business Terrasaurus. Uh, the feeding business is Catron. The next business was here in Cincinnati, Rotex. And Rotex is a, a, a company that makes screeners.
0: Right. I heard of them.
3: And they're, it's a, it's a hundred, over 100-year-old company right here in Cincinnati, which was perfect for us because we're so close to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And they make, they make big industrial screeners that screen things like frac sand, salt, um, seeds to size, seeds to just mm-hmm. the right size. Those are the first three businesses uh, we acquired. And then um, most recently, we acquired a business called Copirian based in Stuttgart, Germany, and Kopirion makes big uh, extrusion and compounding systems, mainly for plastics, and also then has a material handling business, which is pneumatic conveying valves uh, that move basically plastics and petrochemicals around plants. Mm -hmm. So we've come a long way and done a lot of different things from just being a casket business over the last five years.
0: That's great. That's a good thing to hear and you took over as CEO when uh in September of this this uh this past year okay okay uh with with all those different businesses uh you the acquisitions as well as the original uh Batesville uh do you go to go to market with different uh divisional sales forces or do you try to integrate sales teams We do go to market uh, largely
3: with different sales forces, and we have a a few different uh, types of uh, sales organizations. On the Batesville business, it's primarily a North American business, and we go direct. So we have our own sales force out there calling on funeral homes, selling directly to the funeral home. Uh, On the other side of the business in the process equipment group, for large systems, highly engineered products that are really customized, Mm -hmm. we tend to go direct um, for components or pieces of equipment, um, we tend to use um, uh, third-party sales representatives, manufacturers and- reps, manufacturers reps. Exactly. We have very little uh, reseller business, so we it's, we sell directly to the to the customer and then pay a commission to the manufacturer's rep. Yeah, that's very common in, in that part of the industry. It is, and then and it also varies by geography. So in China uh we use both but largely largely through rep organizations and uh in Europe it's
0: uh it tends to lend itself more to a direct sales force
2: mhm mhm
0: um as a company a, a large large scale company is there any one unique marketing advantage that, that you think you bring to the marketplace You know,
3: from a a Hillenbrand perspective, Hillenbrand is really a financial brand. And so we think we do have um, uh, some advantages with our portfolio and our our story in terms of talking to investors and analysts. But a customer doesn't really see the Hillenbrand name. So we, uh, the brands, the the businesses that we have operate relatively independently. They use their own brand names and and go to market uh, on a relatively independent basis. Uh, occasionally if we acquire a company, they may sell a, uh, share a sales channel. We may even rebrand some products, uh, to, to get the, the right attributes to take advantage of an acquisition. Um, but generally
0: we go to market pretty separately by division or by business unit. Mm-hmm. So you've acquired a whole bunch of companies. Uh, are you still planning to acquire more companies? We are.
3: Uh, that's really the theory of our firm. Batesel Casket, is, uh, it's, a, it's an absolutely wonderful business. It's a very, very profitable business with good cash flows. But un- unfortunately, it's in a market that's declining. So as, uh, as death rates are relatively flat here in the United States, the more people are being cremated. The market for burial caskets is declining. And so we're taking those strong cash flows and that strong financial foundation as well as some of their core competencies Using that cash to buy to buy businesses in in growth markets, mm-hmm. um, and then also
0: using some of the skill sets that basil can bring to make those companies better. It's surprising. I, I would have thought if you have at least ten years of growth with the baby boomers, maybe even twenty uh, in the casket business. Well, you, you can never tell what's going to
3: happen uh, in terms of death rates or cremation rates, but but based on our analysis. The baby boomers have not started to really die in any significant way yet. So deaths have been very flat, which is counter to many government predictions. The cremation rate continues to rise. At a point not in, in the not-too-distant future, that rise in baby boom deaths will be almost exactly offset by the rise in the cremation rate. So the burial market will flatten out over the, long, you know, the next 50 years or so.
0: Mm. Okay. Well uh, it's part of the marketplace.
3: I never been- spent much time
0: studying. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that that doesn't surprise me. Many people don't they just think about the number of people who are dying, which which will increase, mm-hmm. not about they don't think necessarily about the number of people who will who will choose burial uh as their means of disposition and how quickly the cremation rate has grown in North America over the over the last couple of decades.
2: hmm
0: hmm Uh I think what we're gonna do now is take a uh a short commercial break. We're going to be uh, listening to Jimmy Fox talk about Tip Club, which is the networking group here in Cincinnati that I sponsor. The next meeting is here in Cincinnati on November twentieth, Thursday morning at seven thirty to nine a.m. And let's listen to Jimmy talk about Tip Club.
4: Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, please go to www tipclub.com and click on the events tab at the top of the page then just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event or you may call 800-798-0270 that's 1-800-798-0270 thank you and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event
0: This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Joe Raver from Hillenbrand. Uh, Joe has agreed to take questions from callers. So if you have a question, we'll be able to handle those during the commercial breaks. Uh, We'll screen the calls then. The number is, as always, 646-595-4916. Joe, if uh, any of our listeners have questions about Hillenbrand or anything you said, uh, how do they get a hold of someone at, at, or you at Hillenbrand? There are a
3: couple of different ways they can get a hold of someone. Uh, one would be to go to the website at com. The other would be to call 812-931-5174, and they'll get Tyler Stock, who can direct their call or answer their questions directly.
0: Great. Uh, Joe, Uh as a publicly held company perhaps you could share with our listeners what your long-term strategic planning process is like well one of the things that we do pride ourselves on and
3: consider a core competency is our uh, strategic planning process uh, interestingly brought to us in the late 1970s by a former a guy who ultimately became the CEO of Hill and Brand uh, a number of years ago but we have a four-step process. It's an annual cycle.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, we start where I think most people start, which is a, we call it a situation assessment. Uh, what's a little bit different about us in terms of uh, the situation assessment is we, we look at markets and competitors, etc., but we pick a few topics to go really deep on. So we'll go study a couple of topics and go into great depth and believe that that's a really good way to learn. And then we can leverage that learning and build on that learning over time. So we don't like to go an inch deep and a mile wide. We like to go a mile deep and an inch wide, and feel like uh, uh, that's a great way to to start to figure out the the details that you need to to understand to drive a, a new part of the business or a, a key growth strategy or a cost reduction strategy. So that's our first phase. Can you give our listeners an example of that? Sure. Um, it can it can range in all types of uh, different topics. Uh, it may be an end market. So we a couple of years ago did a deep dive in coal power in North America to try to understand where the profit pools were, who the main competitors were, what the long-term trends in the marketplace were, what what milestones along the way would would, uh, for example, EPA regulations and a change in the administration, what that might mean for mm-hmm. the business uh, as we looked out for the next you know five or ten years. So so that's one one example. Uh, uh, another example might be a new geography. Um, and, uh, so, uh, we do a lot of potash business in Canada. There's a lot of potash in Russia. It's a complicated, difficult market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not easy to understand what's happening in that market. So we may spend some money, use a third party, um, send somebody to Russia, spend a few weeks there to deeply understand the potash market,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and then in that example consequently we opened a you know developed a a strategy put together a legal entity uh put a person there full time we now run a run a business there and we're in the process of putting a warehouse in um in Siberia to serve those customers so those are a couple of examples of deep learning that we do before we'll go go uh
0: execute a strategy hmm. so you are you mining uh potash in Russia to be sold in Russia uh, potash is a global commodity,
3: so it's sold uh, all around the world. So, most of the potash in the world is only in two places: it's in Canada and it's in Russia, um, or in, in Eastern Europe. And so, it's sold to China, to India, all around all around
0: the world. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, didn't realize you, you were in that type of international business. Yeah. Um, what do you think the biggest opportunities and possibilities are for Hill and Brand? <laughs> One of the things that we
3: uh, studied early on when the company split and we started to develop our growth strategy was uh, we really worked to understand the underlying drivers of a marketplace. And uh, there's, a, there's something happening in the world right now that's, that's really never happened before. And that is the number of middle class Uh, people in the world is just exploding and so if you look at the companies we've acquired they tend to uh, be in end markets that are driven by an expanding middle class so it's not just population growth it's Mm -hmm. actually an expanding middle class so think about plastics if if you get a little bit of money you want protein in your diet Mm -hmm. so you need fertilizer uh, to grow grains to feed uh, you know, cows or sheep or whatever it is. Uh, you want a you want a car. A car has a lot of plastic. You want an air conditioner. If you're in India or China, you need power, uh, and they have all of the above energy strategies. So while there's really no new coal uh, power being generated in the in the U S., uh, no more plants being built, they're being closed down. In India and China, they need every source of power they can get, and so if you sell coal crushing equipment, those are good markets to be in. And, but again,
0: driven by that global middle class growth. Okay, that's a that's a good way to look at it. A lot of people didn't. I didn't think of about it that way. I thought of industrial process, but
3: yeah, you, can I can I just make one other uh,
0: interesting opportunity for us that's really.
3: Uh, been important for us for the last couple of years and will be for the next couple of years is you know the shale gas revolution going on in the United States uh, uh, natural gas can be feedstock for uh, uh, plastics, and so no big plastic base resin plastic plants have been built in the United States for thirty years uh, now there are billions and billions and of dollars of these plants being built uh, so so while our businesses have put tons of uh, equipment related to that industry in Saudi Arabia, in the Middle East, and in China, uh, we're now starting to, from going, going from almost no business uh, in polyethylene, for example, mm-hmm. in, in the United States, really big projects uh, in the United States. So we're also seeing growth in more mature businesses based on, in this case, based on the natural gas revolution that's happening uh, here in the United States. It's very exciting for us. Yeah, I'm just waiting to see them make cars out of plastic because it's lighter. It, it is amazing. I just read the other day that BMW made the first car that was completely plastic. Um, and um, uh, what's the what's the really lightweight material uh, that you use in airplane wings? Aluminum, uh, titanium. Uh, no, it's the uh, the replacement for steel. It's um, it'll come to me in a second. But the interesting thing is no welds. So they they glue the car together. And so there are all kinds of implications for industry as plastics. And plastics are a young, a young industry getting very sophisticated. Ten years ago in your car, 15 years ago in your car, no plastic around the engine Mm-mm. because it would melt. It would, it would be deformed. Today there's plastic everywhere in a car, right. uh, highly engineered plastics. And that's that's right. That's the industry we serve is, is making the
0: machines that make those plastics. Yeah, because so they have all these intakes that are black plastic. Carbon fiber is what I couldn't think of. Carbon fiber, yes. yes. Composite. Yes. They make bicycles out of it. Are you adding more employees to your company this year? This year, we have about, we've grown very quickly. We have about 6,000
3: employees now that, uh, in about 40 countries around the world. On, an, on a year-over-year basis, we're relatively flat, maybe even slightly declining in terms of the number of employees as we get more efficient. mm mm-hmm. um, and uh, have consolidated some of our operations around the globe we, as we've done some acquisitions and put some operations together. Uh, but generally we're a growth business um, and uh, expect
0: to continue to grow and continue to add employees to the, to the organization. Good. Again, Joe has agreed to uh, take questions from callers. The uh, number is 646-595-4916. One, one last question, Joe, before we go to a, another commercial break. Uh, And maybe it's a personal feeling or or what you see in the marketplace, but my clients are always asking me, uh, what's the business economic outlook, Mike? Are things going up, staying the same, or going down? Where is it going to be for the next two years? Boy, I think, you know, we see... We Put on a crystal ball. Look at the crystal ball. Yeah, I, I wish I had a... If I if I knew the
3: answer to that consistently, I wouldn't be here. I'd be on a beach someplace, okay. uh, right, or on a yacht. But, uh, but we feel very good about North America. Uh, it feels like the dynamics in North America, particularly for our industry, we're seeing a, a, a bit of a manufacturing renaissance in North America as uh, companies prefer shorter supply chains. Wages are rising in China. Uh, And so there's a lot uh, we feel good about industrial equipment sales in North America. Europe has been a challenge for us. We have a a big presence in Europe. Um, A third of our process equipment uh, group revenue is in Europe. Uh, It's been pretty stagnant for us for a few years. Germany is a good good market. The automotive market is pretty good. But I think uh, it seems like every step that Europe takes forward, they take a step backward somewhere along the way. And then finally is Asia. um, You know, there's been a lot of talk about the slowing economy in China. Certainly we felt that a little bit, uh, but still growing quite nicely. And, you know, as they're pivoting more towards a consumer economy, that benefits the kinds of products that we make. And quite frankly, as wages rise in China, there's more automation and more equipment purchased because uh, it's uh, more uh, efficient and uh, cost effective. So we feel really good about China in the long run. uh, And right now, business is okay in China.
2: Good,
0: good. Again, uh, before we take a break, the phone number is 646-595-4916. Let's listen to uh, a couple of Sandler commercials. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw, however, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting. 513-646 Six five two three, or check our website at RothConsulting.net. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth and Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Joe Riva from Hill and Brand. Uh, Joe, you may have heard earlier that we are strong this year on leadership and, and transformation. Perhaps you could give our listeners a leadership tip. Well, that's that's uh, I.
3: I I really enjoy reading and thinking about leadership and practicing leadership and always trying to get better uh, I, you know as I've come into this role as a new c e o with a new team, I think you know one of the things that's always served me well is to is to make sure that I constantly remind people of their strengths and um it, it's It's easy to remind someone of their strengths when they do are doing a great job where there aren't a lot of problems. But I'll tell you, when times are really tough or we're facing a difficult problem or a very stressful situation or or, uh, uh, something's not going quite right, uh, instead of beating someone up and telling them all the reasons that they're not going to be successful or all the things they need to do and and fix and change, oftentimes I, I really get a lot of benefit from saying to someone, you are the best. You have the best strategy mind I've ever been around in my career. You can figure this out. It's why you're in this job to figure this out. You can do it. Uh, and I think that kind of feedback helps someone solve a problem from strength and with confidence um, and and gives them the desire and the will and the the energy to go solve the problem. And so... I just think sometimes it's a little tip. It's a, I, I try to do that. It's important to remind people of why they're in the job and why they're so strong and have been so successful in their
0: career, and especially when times are tough. Yeah. Giving them strokes is a positive reinforcement that people like. Uh, uh, along the same line, uh, or different line, we have a theory of operation here at Sandler that uh, simple problems to complex, simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you want to solve a complex problem, you have to use an equally complex solution. Perhaps you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you ran into as CEO and the equally complex uh, solution that you used to solve it. I've never had a question like this, and I think it's an absolutely great
3: question, and I agree with with your theory. Uh, The first thing I always try to do, though, is to make sure it's a complex problem. I try to find the simple answer and, uh, quite frankly, have done... uh, uh, enjoy that in my career as find- it, as taking a seemingly complex problem but figuring out the few key drivers that, that make the big
0: difference in changing them. You know, it's funny how I came up with the theory is that uh, I owned a business in, in Las Vegas that installed privately owned pay telephones and my chief engineer was a uh, physicist and we had problems in June uh, the pay phones on the Seven Eleven were overheating and shutting down because they had electronics in them. And uh, I wanted the simple solution. I told Steve, go out there and put fans in the cases next. <laughs> and he said, that's a great idea, Mike. It won't work. And then we did research. He bought digital thermometers, recordings. And uh, we discovered that every phone we had in an outdoor location had consumer-grade IC chips in it, integrated circuits, where they were supposed to be mill grade Every chip on every board had to be replaced. Wow! And we came up with some temporary fixes until the manufacturer could provide new boards with new chips. But complex problem, complex solution. Well, that, I I've uh, I was the logistics
3: or a, a little bit earlier in my career. I ran our logistics organization, which is uh, at, at Batesville Casket Company, mm-hmm. and that's a big operation. Uh, you know, it's a, a it's a big budget. It's about when I was running, it was 800 people. Uh, 80 warehouses around North America. And so you can't ship a casket FedEx. And so we have our own equipment to get caskets from our plants to the funeral homes. And it's tremendously expensive to have all those warehouses and all those employees out there delivering caskets.
0: So you actually stock caskets all over the country?
3: We stock caskets all over the country. Uh, the vast, vast majority of funeral homes can get a casket within 24 hours, of uh, placing an order. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's very important, uh, uh, because burials tend to happen relatively quickly after mm-hmm. someone passes sure. away, uh, and so the challenge is how to how to be efficient and continue to take cost out, particularly in an industry that's declining. Um, and I tried a lot of simple things, and quite frankly, I couldn't get it solved, and I didn't do a very good job. Uh, more recently, the team though has implemented cross-docking, and you know, cross-docking is a term that many people know from Walmart. But if you think about cross-docking, a casket comes off the end of our our line every 50 seconds. And so less than every minute, there's a a finished casket coming off. It goes right into a truck. And that truck then goes and serves several warehouses and delivers those. But to do cross-docking, it doesn't sit in the warehouse. It goes from one truck to the other truck. So the caskets have to be loaded in the truck so that it can be unloaded and easily loaded in the next truck in the right sequence casket's big. It's got to be in the right sequence. It's not a small thing that you can just set to the side and then move it. it, It's too inefficient. How much do they weigh? A casket can weigh 200 pounds. A heavy oak casket weighs 300 pounds. So these are heavy things. They take specialized equipment to move them. But the trick then is you have to manufacture the caskets in the right order because they're coming off the end of the line every minute and then going into that truck. And it's very complex. But we broke it down into little problems. The team did and we are now very effective we've got uh, a number of these locations we the great thing is is we have less damage because there's less handling it doesn't go into inventory and then back out of inventory uh we have less uh, labor involved because there's less less handling we actually have shorter lead times because the casket doesn't have to sit in inventory it just keeps moving all the way to the funeral home but it's complex and so the customer benefited we benefited um but it was hard and it was complex, and it's to your point. It was a it was a very difficult, complex problem, and it did demand a complex solution. It kind of sounds like just-in-time manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is, and the whole chain, the whole value chain, has to be synchronized, mm. and uh, and
0: that can be very difficult to do. Right. Uh, what type of software do you use to to do that? You use a computer. I, I'm assuming it's sure. all computerized. Uh, it is all computerized,
3: and uh, we uh, have a broadcast system, and so we pull orders directly from our warehouses all over the country in real time. Uh, they optimize what the ma- what the manufacturing um, uh, sequence should be with with each of the products. And I'm going to screw up the name of the software because, uh, it used to be called JD Edwards Mm. and, um, and somebody bought JD Edwards and I can't remember who it is that bought JD Edwards, but they don't call it JD Edwards anymore, but it's JD Edwards used to be called one world. Um, and, uh, we put that ERP system in and, uh, and we tried to reduce complexity mm-hmm. uh keep it very simple so it was easy to upgrade uh but it was good software for us to run our business it was uh it
0: came out of the box pretty well designed uh for us well that's good to hear uh i've heard people tell horror stories about certain other erp software it
3: can be a, it can be a very difficult uh, project to uh, implement an erp system mhm
0: uh you guys have many mul- multiple websites for the divisions and for corporate, uh, do you have your own in-house developers for internet, or you farm that work out? Uh, we do most of it
3: internally, so um, we feel like we're a, a large enough company that we can we can afford to staff uh, some of those developers. And then as as needs uh, would peak, we would then use outside consultants to help us with with peak demands. But but we do we're a large enough business to have um, our in-house developers
0: that do a lot of that work. Mm-hmm. uh do they also do the search engine optimization they do
3: and uh and that varies by by business sometimes that's out in the business uh sometimes that's at the corporate center um uh, but um uh we do have a corporate group that that helps our operating
0: companies with their websites hmm uh, so you have a a, a corporate i t department that that works with all of the divisions. We do. Uh, and we structure, the way
3: we try to structure our IT department is uh, all of the sort of the infrastructure. So our data centers, uh, our, um, uh, you know, all the T1 lines and all the infrastructure for connectivity, that is all centralized. But the businesses are different, different enough that their specific applications and the application expertise sits out in the business. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how we think about uh, what sits at the corporate center and what remains in the business. Okay.
0: Uh, Again, Joe has agreed to uh, take questions from callers. We'll have one more opportunity in a couple of minutes. The number is 646-595-4916. Joe, uh, what motivates you to make tough business decisions?
3: I think the tough business decisions, um, when seen in isolation, are tough decisions. But when you think about the health of the entire company and the well-being of all the employees who work there and the customers that we serve uh, and the shareholders who uh, invest their money with us with confidence, then it becomes an easier decision. So whenever I'm faced with a, a decision that can be emotionally very difficult I try to step back and look at the bigger picture and uh, and make sure that if if that is a difficult decision, it's in the best interest of the company and of the broader employee group and customer group and that helps put the decision in perspective and and gives me the courage and our team the courage to make those kinds of decisions and execute the the actions that are required to make the business healthier and to and to make the business
0: uh, uh better able to thrive over the long term. Good we're going to listen to Sandler Rule number 22 and we'll be back in a couple of minutes.
5: Hi, I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. A skilled hunter knows how to track his prey cautiously and patiently and waits for the exact moment to fire his shot. He waits to make sure that his prize target is lined squarely in the crosshairs of his scope before pulling the trigger. As salespeople, our process should be very similar. We have a responsibility to make sure we know exactly what that prospect's needs and wants are and how our product or service can fulfill them. We also need to know exactly how much the prospect is willing to commit In terms of time resources and money to solving their problem and we need to know the decision-making process that the prospect is going to go through in order to evaluate our product and probably most importantly we need to let the prospect know that we expect a decision at the end of our presentation only once we have a fully qualified prospect do we fire our kill shot and deliver the presentation I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill.
0: This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Joe Raver from Hildebrand. Uh, Joe, uh, you've spent, what, the last 18 years in Hildebrand companies? That's right, yes, Uh where were you before that? I went to
3: college on the East Coast, and then I went to uh, to Eli Lilly and Company, sold pharmaceuticals in New York um, for about six years, and then decided to go back to business school. Before business school, I did a short stint at Batesville Casket Company, Mm -hmm. uh, then went off to Northwestern to go to business school, and then I've been with the company ever since.
0: Okay. Uh, So you've seen a couple of other uh, companies. Uh, How do you think Hill and Brand compares to other high-performing companies in the marketplace? I think a, a couple of things that, that make Hillenbrand unique.
3: The reason I, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I, I came to, to Hillenbrand uh, as, as an intern before business school, and mm. they let me work on some projects. And I, and I had the opportunity to present to the president of Batesville Casket Company and his staff on the results of my project. And I had a 20-minute time slot. And they gave me two hours. They let me keep going because they were so interested in the topic that I was talking about in my findings. And what struck me about that was they didn't care what my title was. They didn't care where I was in the organization. They would listen and then took action on a good idea. And I thought it was a good idea, and they agreed. And so that was, that was it for me. Uh, and so, when I came out of business school I, uh, I had opportunities to do all kinds of different things, different job offers, and my friends all said to me you 're going to a casket company. What are you doing <laughs> uh, and And I went back to a casket company which isn 't very sexy for less money, but the reason I went back is because I knew I could make a difference and I could influence the business and I think that 's part of our culture good ideas. Uh, make it to the top it doesn 't matter their source, and everybody from an intern to you know uh, a senior vice president, if they have a good idea, it tends to make it to to the management team and action is taken. I think it 's a really great thing the The other thing is we 're a company that that prides itself on what we call intentional talent development. So if you're a, a, any, whether you're a, a new hire or you're a senior executive, every job you go into, you have some very specific things that you're going into that job to learn. Of course, you have things that you have to do. But that's why you're going into the job. But things that you have to learn and develop so that you will be a better executive and ready to, and you're ready to do more and better things. And so I've had the opportunity to have just terrific jobs. Some of those jobs I didn't want Uh, I didn't want to run the logistics organization, but my boss said, if you want to be a president of a company, you need to learn how to run a large, far-flung organization where you have to lead people you can't see. They're all out there, and you can't just walk down the hall and talk to them. You need to learn to do that if you want to be an effective executive and be a president someday. And so. I went into that job, and I had to go do a good job and, and get caskets delivered and take costs out. But I also knew those skills that I was learning uh, to make myself a better executive. And so that's another unique and interesting thing about Hill and Brand. And quite frankly, when you're, uh, you know, um, uh, a business that's trying to grow as quickly as we are developing talent is is the most critical thing that we can do and so i think that is is very unique about hill and brand it sets us apart from other high-performing companies right there are a lot that that don't intentionally develop their people that's right and then it's hit or miss mm-hmm. uh and and i always have the belief that the employee should should feel like they have 100 percent control and responsibility for developing their own career and me as the manager or the leader of that person, I feel like if I act like I have and believe I have 100% uh, of the responsibility to make sure they're developing their career, if both of us think we have to do it, then together we'll actually get it done. Because
0: at most companies, I don't think it really gets done. Right. There's a lot of uh, left to chance. Yes. And there's a lot. Uh, some, some companies have the philosophy of if we need a talent, we can always hire it we can always go outside and we, we're not afraid to go
3: outside if we do, uh, need a new skill or just need a little bit of new blood and new thinking, but we certainly prefer to hire internally uh, and think we have a better success rate when we can have internal
0: hires hires, fill key roles inside the company. Mm-hmm. I certainly believe in that. Uh, what areas do you think, uh, Hillen brand is good at and what areas do you think Hillenbrand brand needs uh, to work on? So, uh,
3: I think we do a a few things really, really quite well. We have a pretty strong lean culture uh, and ability to implement lean in various organizations. Uh, We model ourselves off the Toyota production system. We have a very clear way of operating. So, Mike, you could go into any plant around the world, in Wuxi, China, uh, in Stuttgart, Germany, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, and when you walked into the plant, if you were blindfolded and didn't know where you were, you could you could see that it was a Hill and Brand plant uh, by the way we uh, hold meetings, by the way we um, put projects on the wall, and the way we track metrics and where they're posted in the plant and and how employees are engaged. You could tell you were in a Hill and Brand plant. So I think that's one thing we do quite well. Um, the, the other thing I think we do quite well is is develop people. We've already talked a, a little bit about that, uh, and we're courageous. We will take chances on people. We'll take uh, uh, bold moves. We're, we're not a company that's shy. Uh, we've acquired $1.2 billion worth of, uh, we've spent $1.2 billion over the last five years. And, and that takes a lot of courage. Sure does. Uh, and so we're a company that, uh, that is not afraid to be bold. We do our homework, but we're not afraid to, to, to take some, some actions that we think will result in great results. What can we be better at? We're learning to be a global company. So so many of us particularly that that were at the the Old Hill and Brand mm-hmm. or at Batesville Cask Company mostly a North American business and sure. so we're learning how we have a couple thousand people in Germany you know we're learning little things about cultural differences how to express your uh opinion about things uh, when to have certain types of discussions in front of a whole group or a small group uh, the um, uh, different ways to to um uh, to congratulate people. Um, and so we're learning all kinds of things. Some of them are very complex and hard. Some of them are pretty simple, like you don't schedule a meeting that goes until 5 o'clock in the evening because it's 11 p.m. over there. And so those are simple little things, but but they're important things because they show respect uh, for, for, for the people around the globe. So we're working hard to attract people who want to be part of a global business, have a desire to live around the world, and then have that curiosity and sensitivity to other cultures because in the past that wasn't all that important. But today for us to get done uh, the initiatives we need to get done around the world, it's really important that we do it well all over the world. How many different countries do you operate in today? We operate in about 40 different companies. Countries. Um, countries. Right. I'm sorry. Did I say companies? Yeah. Yes. Uh, 40 different countries with, with some sort of uh sales officer or, or something like that. But our, our big locations are uh, North America, the, Uni- the United States, China, India, um, those are probably our, and the UK, those are our largest locations. We have the most employees. Do you have a a official company language as English? Yes. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick, interesting story. I was in, uh, I was in Nanjing and we were at one of our plants. And so I'm speaking to a German manager, uh, with a Chinese person and I'm an American and the German, uh, Will get an email from his German colleague in Stuttgart, and he will send a message back that says, "We only communicate in English here in China." (laughs) So, here's the the German to German guy will not take an email in German because it's got to be English; otherwise, it's difficult difficult to communicate. So, almost all managers and above can speak can speak English. Um, Now, certainly, you can't have all uh, shop employees and everybody in the whole business speak English, but all the executives
0: and all the management uh, speak English. And so we do business in English. Yeah. Here at Sandler, over the last 10 years in our global accounts, we've actually uh, translated Sandler into uh, about 30 different languages and cultures. Uh, One of the most interesting things for me was uh, in England, Sandler needed to be translated into British English, we have to remove baseball and substitute soccer. And football didn't mean the same thing. That's right. So uh, in each country, we've created a, a special translation for the uh, that particular.
3: Well, you, you do raise a very good point. So if we if we have an important company communication, because sometimes it is lost in the translation, we will have it translated. Uh, into even though the people speak English in our Stuttgart office, we will have it translated into German to make sure that we're crystal clear on the meaning of all the words, and there's there's no ambiguity
0: about about the communication. Yeah, it it, uh, it turns out to be a really important uh, point that I didn't realize. Several years ago, <laughs> we uh, we competed for a a job in Paris uh, about ten years ago with a major American company, and. Uh, Sandler didn't have an office in France. So I picked up uh one of our people from Quebec that had taught Sandler in French in Quebec. Sent it to Paris. We lost the deal. They came back that we lost the deal because we were speaking archaic French.
3: <laughs> uh yes, yes. Learned that lesson. Lots of different uh, lots of different uh uh varieties of German and French around the world. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh can you tell our listeners the uh, the top three things that uh, people would say about your current sales culture across all of the business? I think the top
3: the top three things one is uh, we're we tend to be very much a solutions oriented uh, sales organization. So we're never the lowest price um, uh, uh, product or service or whatever we're providing, and so we have to sell value. And uh, and and sometimes that means that um, y- you know it's a complex sale. Sometimes it's a longer cycle sale. But true, uh, sure these industrial products there and it's it, not off the shelf. It's it? not off the shelf. So so I think I think if you were to ask outside people and, and look at our culture, they would say we really try to provide a solution. And that's even true on the on the casket side in, in terms of merchandising solutions, etc. So I think we're very solutions oriented. Uh, I think secondly, we're process oriented. And so we, know, we think very much about the sales process uh, and try to make sure that we're going through a good sales process, tracking that sales process to make sure that we're effective at different points in the process. Uh, And so that comes with our lean culture a little bit as well. The, the notion that we're, that we're, that we're process oriented. And then I think, I think third is that uh, we like data. Uh, We like data a lot. And, um, there are lots of opinions out there. And so we like data. We run lots of experiments in sales organizations. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try something. We'll, we'll have a couple of regions, and we'll set two up as the control, two up as the test. And we'll see how, how it works and, and really try to use a scientific method and gather data to see is uh, one strategy versus another strategy more effective or not and not just rely on, on someone's, you know, opinion. Or intuition. Uh, or intuition. It's a great place to start, but, that's, but then go set up the experiment so we get the data to see if it, if it proves to be true or not.
0: Good. Uh, let me ask you this last question. Uh, many things drive uh, successful CEOs like you. Uh, here at San we've determined that uh, three are extremely important. Outlook, your core beliefs, desire, that's passion for success, and commitment, the, the willingness to do whatever it takes to succeed. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. I think... Uh, I have a
3: lot of training as a strategy person, um, and I, I one of the things that has been an adjustment for me as a CEO is my time frame has had to extend, uh, but I, I thrive on that. So uh, outlook, I think, is very important, um, and uh, and seeing a path to the future that you can then communicate to the rest of the organization. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I, I firmly believe in that, no question. Commitment to results. So... There are lots of reasons why we can't be successful. There's thousands of them, mm-hmm. right? I'm looking for the few that are going to make us successful. Mm-hmm. And I think you, if you don't have a strong commitment to results, you know, oftentimes you, you run the risk of letting those all those reasons why something can't get done actually get in your way and you don't get it done. And so so that, that commitment to success is, I agree with you, it is absolutely paramount. Uh, and, and i think the third was passion right passion and and passion uh if you you, you have to find the love cuz it's the fuel right it's the fuel that gets you up every day and keeps your mind working and makes you work hard and so if you don't have that fuel you can't keep the discipline and and the engagement that's that's kind of my view of those three things
0: okay i want to thank you joe for uh being on the show today and his appreciation for coming on the show we're going to give you uh two of the new Sandler books. Uh, This is one I compiled called Lead When You Dance, the 14 Success Secrets for Sales and Sales Management. And uh, this other one is is the one we were talking about with Dave Arch. He's going to be on the show next week, Transforming Leaders the Sandler Way. And uh, Dave has taken the Sandler selling system, turned it into a visual allegory for leaders. And uh, I hope you enjoy the books. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it and appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, talk to your listeners. Good. Scott, why don't you take it away?
1: Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513 753 94 0,